to Composing Myself, a special podcast series celebrating 50 years of great composers at Wise Music. Presented by Jill Graham and Dave Holly. Welcome to Composing Myself. This week, Dave and I are joined by Cheryl Francis Hort, whose music has been described as intricate in argument, sometimes impassioned, sometimes mercurial, always compelling in its authority. So let's hear all about that. Welcome, Cheryl. Hello. Um, we we start these uh, chats um, typically with a question about when you first were turned on to music. Can you remember the first time somewhere out there in the ether or in your home, a piece of music just struck you and you went, wow. Um, I can't actually, because I was really young. My mum was a flute teacher. So I would sit um, in the corner of the room often um, when she was teaching. And apparently I would I would sing back the oral exercises to her before her students, which must have been so irritating. Um, so I heard music from a really, really early age. And and then I and then I started playing the flute and the, the, the recorder and then the flute and I can't actually honestly remember it but um, I uh, you know I'd, I'd expressed an interest very early on so I don't have an early memory of it actually um, it's just always been there and I don't I actually don't remember um, not composing either because I started composing when I was tiny so yeah it's just always been there really. When you were sitting in the corner of a room, did you make sort of musical judgment on some of her students ever? Did you sort of, uh, sort of grimace or praise? Well, in... I can't. Re- I can't remember any of it. That's the, that's the crazy thing. I mean, I do, I do know that when I expressed an interest in playing the cello, which so I went to the Menuhin School for ten years as a cellist. And I do know when I really expressed interest from that, my mother took me to the Royal Festival Hall to hear the Rococo variations. I think slightly hoping to scare me off, but I was apparently even more encouraged and I wanted to do it even more. Within weeks of taking up the cello, age seven, you wrote your first piece. And was that, did that just happen? Was that just sort of, right, I'm going to be writing music time now. Thank you very much. I think so. I was incredibly shy as a kid. I basically didn't really speak. Um, and I think I just started writing music for the open strings of the cello before I could use my left hand. I mean, again, I have no memory of it. But I, I have a, actually, I have a vague memory of that, um, those little um, pads of manuscript paper, like, you know, smaller than A5 that you mm. used to have for the kids, you know, for your music lessons. I have a vague memory of of filling those up. And I, and I have a really strong memory of dictating um, Dave Brubeck's Take 5 on the piano in the utility room because it was on a, it was on a car commercial. It must have been when I was about, must have been about 1988 or 89. Mm. It was on a car. And I was just so um, gobsmacked by this thing in E-flat minor in 5-4. I think it's in E-flat minor, isn't it? Anyway, um, that 
yeah, and I remember it took me ages to dictate that, but that's actually that's probably one of my earliest clear musical memories. That, yeah. But were you interested in a range of music or, or typically classical? I think in my house I only heard classical music, and then I went to the Yehudi Menyon School where. Um, where, I, you know, it was all just classical music. I mean, I think we must have, I mean, you know, TV tunes and adverts. I remember, I remember there was a tape of Tubular Bells in the house, which I dictated like a lot of. I sort of just spent all my time dictating that. And that was really good. I mean, like, it's really hard dictating that first bit when you can't slow down and you're just on a tape recorder and you're rewinding and stuff, right? Um and I would have been TV, TV melodies and things and adverts. And, but otherwise, it was really very, very classical. And at menu in school, it was all super, super classical. I do remember being 13 and my cooler friend was listening to Kiss FM. And I do remember hearing some like Erica Badu or something and being absolutely gobsmacked by that when I was about 13. But that was probably the first pop music I'd heard, I think, you know, so, Yeah. Um, it's only later in life that I became interested in other musics, really. It was until I was sort of 17, 18, it was very, sort of, very classical. The Yehudi Menuhin School, was that a boarding school? Yeah, no, it was, it's, um, it's interesting. Um, I, I went there when I was just eight years old. Um, and then, first of all, my mum would come and pick me up. She'd drive two hours to get me and two hours back through the Dartford Tunnel before the bridge was there. So that was just a... <clears throat> so she'd do that on a Saturday and then bring me back on a Sunday for a while. And then, then you know, you would stay for a whole half term and stuff. Um, yeah, but I got... I mean, I think it was... I think it's quite... I mean, it's a very hard thing for my mum to do. Um, but I mean, I just got an unbelievably brilliant music, musical, musical education there for virtually no money because you know it was all grant you know it was all based on earnings and grant maintained and so I had two hours of cello lessons and an hour of composition lesson and half an hour piano a week you know and um yeah I mean it's just and I've you know been writing pieces for people I've shared a room with since I was about eight or nine sort of ever since really so do you, you play the cello do you play other instruments um well I learned cello and piano I don't really I don't really play either seriously anymore. Um, I keep trying to get my cello out and practicing it, practice it, but I never seem to manage it. But I'm, term- I'm determined to. Mm-hmm. Um, I play the piano every day when I'm composing. Uh, but I, I sort of completely lost the desire to perform, really. Um, I think it was, I think in hindsight, it was probably a means to an end, you know, um, and a really useful one because it's really useful to have played a string instrument. Um, when you're composing just because of the complexity of, you know, being able to play four strings with four different fingers at once, you know. And, um, yeah, so, yeah, yeah. You've just finished the cello concerto, haven't you? Congratulations. I guess that, have you made that really difficult because you know how far the extremes of that instrument can go? I think it's got a lot of high stuff, Laura says. Laura van der Hayden's going to do it in May. Um, I actually, I wanted to write something I've already got a really difficult cello sort of concerto, a piece called Catharsis. And in that piece, I wrote it for a friend of mine at Menuhin School, David Cohen. And I sort of wrote it sort of um, very quite close to um, having sort of really stopped playing the cello. So I had all these incredibly sort of uh, 
complex feelings about this cello. So I really sort of wrote this sort of 25 minute, incredibly hard, rather agonized in parts piece. Um, that's, and I think, I think I sort of managed to, I think that was kind of quite good therapy for um, releasing my cello guilt demons. And um, so this piece is actually really quite, it's not, it's not by no means easy, but it's, um, it's got lots of nice tunes in it. I really wanted to play to Lara's strength um, as a, she's such a, a natural musician, sort of um, her ability to sort of put across a, a beautiful melody and communicate with the orchestra, um, with the audience and the orchestra. Um, and I really wanted that to come to the fore. Also, mm. I've got this piece of cello and ten, ten instruments, which doesn't really get done that much because it's a sort of slightly awkward orchestration. And and I wanted, I mean, you know, I'm not embarrassed to saying I wanted to write a cello concerto that will hopefully get done a lot. So it's for a, you know, for a, uh, I, ho I hope, I hope I will see that it's quite easy to put together and it's, and it's for a standard orchestration. And it's also... I looked at things like the Elgar cello concerto a lot because I really didn't want to over orchestrate it. So I really want, I really want the cello to be heard without having to, mm. without it being a battle. Another thing I read on your very accurate biography on the Wise Music Classical site was uh, your first string orchestra piece was thrown out by the conductor. What happened? Yeah, God, it was at, <laughs> it was at Menion School. And I think, I think I was eight and I'd written a piece for the school string orchestra to play. And my mother came up, she drove two hours for the Saturday rehearsal. And basically I'd copied out a couple of the parts, you know, by hand. Mm. I'd missed a few bars out, missed a few bar rests out. And um, after a few attempts, he said, sorry, we can't do this. And he just sort of, oh, absolutely mortifying, absolutely mortifying. Um, and I do, rem I can, rem I have a very clear memory of that. And it was just, yeah, it was uh, actually, um, he remembered it and he apologised to me about it. And um, yeah, I don't know. I think I was just so determined to, I don't know, it's quite a good lesson, right? I never made any mistakes again, you know. Um, well. I, I think I was just so determined to write, I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have taken notice of anybody else, you know. Um, and it sort of made me maybe just stick two fingers up at him, you know, um, um, and think, right, I'm just going to prove him wrong and do it better, you know. So, was there any doubt that you would would you, you would make this your career? Um, I mean, in retrospect, it seems crazy, really. Um, but it never occurred to me that it wouldn't be. And I think, you know, my mother was just so, is, 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 was and is so supportive and so encouraging. And I left university um, not, not thinking that I couldn't do it, you know. So, and then, I mean, obviously I worked incredibly hard, but I think that's a really massive thing really because, you know, I never, I never went out and tried to, earn money another way and it eventually paid off you know um it seemed but it seems it seems sort of a bit mad now really because it's such a you know it's such a precarious way to make a living so I'm very grateful for that and also I guess being at Menion School everybody I mean you know it's a blessing and a curse because there, there are a lot of people from my school for whom perhaps life hasn't worked out how they wanted we were all trained up to think we were just going to go out into the world and you know, um, be professional musicians. And for the people that that hasn't worked out for, I think it's very hard. And it's, 
um, you know, um, and in a way, I think a lot of people left menu in school thinking I am the best, you know, because that's what we were sort of told and it did them quite a lot of harm. So I look back and actually think that failing as a cellist was actually probably a very good thing to do because I basically left school a failure in 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 quite a lot of ways because I'd stopped playing the cello. So, um, so I didn't have the problem that some of my friends had of, of feeling sort of, I don't know, it's a weird psychology, I think, when you're brought up to believe that you are going to be, you know, uh, an international concert artist, you know. Um, it's great. It's been great for me because, uh, yeah, so it's a really interesting sort of complex thing that I'm not really qual- qualified to probably think more about, but, yeah. So how, I'm really interested. I've got two children who are actors at the moment, mm. one at drama school, one has literally just come out, mm. and so they're six or seven weeks into um into their professional career mm. and how how that how do you start making how did you start making money what was the first piece of music that you wrote for money and how did you how did you turn pro basically well i think the first piece of my, my first piece of music i wrote for money was when i was 16 and I remember I got £200 for it and it was a 15-minute cello and piano piece. Wow. And I'd, I'd won the BBC, I'd won one of the prizes um, of four um, of the 1996 BBC Young Composer. And um, Ralph Kirschborn rang me up on the phone and I really thought it was somebody playing a prank on me <laughs> and he asked me to write a piece for the Manchester International Cello Festival. And, um, yeah, so, and then I started writing to commission and I then wrote a piece for the Surrey Philharmonic Orchestra whilst I was at school. And, um, I mean, yeah, and I, I mean, I was sort of, then I went to Cambridge and because I'd won this competition, I mean, I still didn't really speak, but because I had these several competition wins in my name, I was taken really seriously and I got, you know, I got, I remember I wrote a piece for, I don't know what this says about me that I can remember all the fees I got. I remember I got a thousand pounds from the Cambridge University Chamber Orchestra to write a, a piece for oboe and strings, which is published. It's called A Refusal to Mourn. Mm. Um, and then, and then things just sort of went from there. And then I did, I did an MPhil. And then, I mean, to this day, I think one of the most important parts of my life was doing my PhD, not I mean, I had a wonderful teacher, Sylvina Milstein, but I mean, I, not so much for the PhD-ness, but for the funding it gave me. I had four years of AHRC funding where I, I mean, I did at the same time live at home in the middle of the countryside in where there was one bus a week. So I basically had no life. Um, but I was able to work. I was, earning, I was writing to commission at that point. So all the pieces except one for my PhD portfolio were commissioned because Sylvina felt I needed an orchestral piece and I hadn't got any orchestral pieces. But I was probably earning about five grand a year um, from commissions, you know. And But the fact that I had AHRC funding um, mm. meant that I didn't have to do anything else. So I didn't teach, I didn't do anything else. And I think every piece that I wrote for that PhD probably got in a few more commissions. Um, you know, and then I... I basically lived very cheaply and basically didn't go out or do anything or spend any money for about 15 years um, and endlessly, endlessly applied for funding. You know, my first piano concerto, 
uh, was funded by a grant by Wicklow County Council. Um, they had a they had a project. Uh, they had ten thousand pounds for a, a project, and I I organised this thing with my my friend um, from school, Bobby Chen, a wonderful pianist. Where we went out to Wicklow and we worked with school children and um, got their ideas for a piano concerto, which I then put into a piano concerto for a professional pianist, Bobby, and an amateur orchestra orchestra Wicklow um the Greystones orchestra and so I sort of found ways to do to sort of make a living like that and um another thing I did was a a Leverhulme artist in residence thing where you got 10 grand for this residency and I I emailed around all the Cambridge departments who I thought I'd quite like to know a bit more about and I, I remember I emailed pure maths and psychiatry and psychiatry um replied and so I spent 10 months observing a team of um, psychiatrists and, you know, medical professionals um, doing, um, uh, you know, um, learning about early onset psychosis. And a lot of it just went completely over my head, but I wrote a couple of piano pieces inspired by that. So it's sort of finding ways, um, you know, and I would teach the kids in the village on a Friday afternoon and stuff like that. It's just finding ways to... Um, to to find to find money to carry on doing what you wanted you know and and you know I'm cont- I mean like you know I owe so much to what's now the Vaughan Williams Trust you know the what was the Ralph Vaughan Williams Trust and the Arts Council and the PRS you know they they've given me so much funding over over the time to to write pieces for you know to and I always I guess the thing is that I always somehow was determined that I was going to earn money for what I wrote so if if somebody wanted to write me a piece and they couldn't get it together to apply for funding I would apply for the funding and I think that worked really well because then you were able to say you know last commission I got paid that so I need this for that you know now I'm a complete um coward about all that stuff because of course wise music does it all for me so but back then I used to be you know really really quite a tough nut but now I'm just really pathetic about those things you know so the, so the useful information I'm going to take back to my my son is don't go out for 15 years. And I, I'm, I'm, I'm happy to encourage that. I'm not sure it's going to work with him, to be honest. <laughs> Cheryl, you've mentioned a couple of times, you know, the um, a point at which you didn't speak. Mm. Tell us about that. I was. It's funny. Um, I was just. I've just come from my mum's this morning, and we were just. She was telling me about when I was very tiny. I was very, very bossy, and then I went to Westcliff. I don't know the school in Southend, and apparently I just changed. I just went incredibly silent, and I was very, very shy. I think they I think they almost sent me to see some professional at Menion School because they were so worried that I just was so incredibly shy. Um that I just didn't speak. And I, I do remember at school, you know, we'd have lunch and the bell would go. And I remember I would would hide in my room until the second bell rather than go and wait with the other kids for the wow. first because yeah. I just I just found it so I just yeah, I just sort of found it all so scary. I and mean, I did eventually get a bit better than that, but um, 
and I think I really did just express myself through music. It's really, um, uh, it sounds a bit like a cliche, but that really was how I expressed myself. Mm. Um, and I mean, it's only through composing really that I've become less shy, um, yeah. you know, because it's forced me. I mean, even to the fact that I won a competition in Florida in something like 2010 and it was decent prize money, but to, to get, the money you had to go out and do a public lecture and I'd never I think during my time at Cambridge I'd had to do one presentation for 15 minutes and other than that I didn't I didn't contribute in tutorials at all because I was just so I felt I went to Cambridge with two A levels and I didn't even get my grades I got an A and a B when I was given special dispensation to have two A's because I'd been to the menu yeah. school and I was in a class with people with six A-levels who all spoke fluent Latin, you know. And I literally, you could have told me that Latin was Greek or, or Italian and I would have believed you, you know. So I, I found that all very sort of intimidating, but actually through, through composing mm. and having to do this hour lecture in, uh, in the University of South Florida, um, you know, I realised sort of, you know, it sort of forced me to confront that more and now I actually really enjoy doing pre-concert talks and stuff like that um I still yeah so it was really so it's funny that the sort of my my career has helped me in that regard because mm. a lot of people wouldn't believe you know how shy I was in the past you know but I also think it meant that I channeled all my all my thoughts and feelings into my music you know um which was handy really in retrospect you'll be surprised to know this Jill but I was incredibly shy up to a certain point um, even even into my twenties, I was pretty shy, and then uh, uh, on at a work event, I was sent on a. It's called presentation skills. I was taught how to present, and you basically got put with a bunch of actors who put a camera on you, and for two days they just we went through all these exercises, relaxing you and teaching you about how to present. And by the end of that, I felt I could stand on a piano and talk to a thousand people. And it just got rid of all self-consciousness. And, and there's just a few things I always do before I go and talk to, to audiences just to prepare myself. But it, it's removed the block. So I, I, I do kind of empathise a little bit. I think, mm. I, I think I did talk, but I was really awkward. And, mm. and particularly at university, I went to a university and everyone I met, met seemed to know each other. They'd all, they were all Southerners. They'd all been to private schools and I'd gone to a comprehensive and didn't know anybody there. And, and I think I shut down um, mm. and, and sort of doubted myself a bit. Cheryl, back to writing music. Have you got a process? Is there a time of day that's better? Have you got a ritual that you uh, impose? What, what was that? Is it manuscript? Is it computer? Tell us. I um, no, I'm very nine to nine to four, not quite nine to five, but I'm very. I work in the day. I'm not. I don't sort of burn the midnight oil. Um, I use a piano and manuscript paper. Um, you know, nowadays actually, you know, I'm so I I do use the computer more than I used to. I mean, I sort of I sort of sketch. I, I reckon I sort of get about sixty percent on manuscript paper before I then wow. often put it on computer and then. Sometimes it print it out. I mean, as I've, I mean, it's so stupid. I got a really good computer screen like, a couple of years ago, and that's made a difference. I was printing out loads of paper before, and I've stopped doing that. And there's something <clears throat> I find, especially with a bigger piece, there's something quite psychologically helpful about seeing it on computer because it sort of proves that it's there. So I mm. sort of get to, I don't know, two thirds of the way through a 
a movement and I'll type it up just so I can see that it exists. And then it gives me sort of the, the, the sort of courage to finish it. Um, I just, I mean, a lot of my music is, most of my music is based on stuff that's, you know, not music. So um, my cello concerto, not that it matters and anybody knows this, but it's sort of loosely inspired by um, some research about Swifts. And um, there's a, in Oxford, there, there's a, you know, very world-renowned centre for studying Swifts. And um, uh, um, the cello is sort of loosely inspired by, by a Swift. And also a book on volcanoes I found in a charity book. And also um, this kind of um, algae that grows in the ocean that um, one of the fellows of Merton College, where I was a visiting research fellow, he, he told me about this, this amazing stuff. And so I'll often fill up my notebooks with words and lots of phrases, um, have, lots of you know word phrases have inspired my cello concerto. And I'll sort of write those and I'll, I'll have a big piece of A3 paper where I'll sort of sketch things out, timelines and what's going to happen where. And, and of course, then I sometimes ignore that, but I usually stick fairly well to it. Um, and then I just noodle about on the piano for a while and, and sing a lot. I sing a, a lot when I, when I write. Um, and it all just gradually coalesces. And um, yeah, and I've actually learned... Um, Recently, I seem to like by by sort of leaving it and going off on a walk or going to sleep overnight, and it somehow sort of manages to work over, work better in the morning. Or mm. actually, learn to let my brain uh, do a lot of the work while I'm not thinking about it. It seems to. Wow. I had this year. I was I was a visiting research fellow in Merton College, Oxford, for what was twenty months, and I was very productive there. And I sort of um, I sort of sort of began to trust myself more. Really, that my brain can just do it if I let it so I'm so I don't know it's, it's, it sometimes feels like a bit of a cop-out but um yeah I'm a big believer in that that you hmm. you know you hear people doing things like asking the universe but I think it's your mind processing it works all the time and you know I do that with work problems and family problems and yeah. whatever and you, you can't think of a solution and then it just pops into your head the following day or if you a walk walking's brilliant for you I think well, that's actually, I mean, I do a regular sort of uh, walk around this meadow and I, I do get a lot of, as it happened really, I was, I, I had to go off to something that I, something really lovely, but of course I just got stuck with my piece and I was just really annoyed about it and agitated and got stuck. And then I walked off to this thing and I, and I got the idea. We, I think we mentioned writing for voice earlier, but you, you do a lot of writing for voice, don't you? Is, is that a... a particular passion or do the commissions sort of fall that way yeah I mean I love writing for the voice but it's not a particular passion um you know I mean I I, I love writing for the voice I love writing choral music I've never I've never sung in front of anybody I've never sung in a choir um and it's just seemed to be how how the commissions have worked out you know um I'm, I mean, I'm really glad to be writing more orchestral music you know, now and I want to sort of build that up. Um, no, I mean, I absolutely, I absolutely love writing songs and, and, and I think it was university. I think it was, you know, writing pieces for Keys Choir that got some attention um, um, that, that really sort of helped that aspect, that area of my work. Um, and I mean, I love, I love the fact with writing 
a song that you can say one thing in the words and something else in the music, you know, which you can't, you can't, I don't think, do so clearly in instrumental music. But when I don't really, uh, actually composing probably helps me find out about other art and other and literature and stuff, you know, I, because I compose full time and, you know, I often just want to watch a film or something in the evening, you know, I, but, you know, through setting song, through setting songs, I, I like setting contemporary texts. So, you know, I go off on these, you know, I'll spend a couple of days like looking at lots and lots of different poetry. And, and I love that aspect. I love that aspect of, um, of my work and, you know, like being at Merton and writing a few pieces inspired by stuff that fellows have suggested to me, I got to learn a lot. And I, I sort of love that aspect of, being a composer you know because I I learn about things which I probably would have never heard of and wouldn't be motivated to learn about otherwise you know um Um, I wanted to ask you about I am you brave and strong because I'm fascinated by works that are participative and you know have been contributed to by if you want non-professional performers or singers tell us about that how did you approach it how did it happen yeah, well, I've written three of those now. I wrote there it was a big piece for the London Chamber Orchestra and their Music Junction project, which is so they have 150 around 150 kids, I think it was from all different backgrounds. So people who are going to Bernardo schools, um, um, through to you know people who are going to very privileged schools, and they they get everybody together, and the the more privileged children um, act as mentors to 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 other children they teach teach them how to play instruments and it's this um oh. you know it's this sort of amazing project really um and i mean you know so and there are workshops and where you know led by a fantastic workshop leader so we went you know that was actually yes we had these wonderful workshops led by caroline walsh i think it was and hmm. a fantastic workshop leader and um with the, with the kids who sort of found motives that would represent hope um, and excitement. And, and then I used, I think it's hope. Well, it was a very simple motive, a sort of a B and D major third, I think went up to a C and E major third, the sort of syncopated rhythm. And I then used that in that movement, hope. I, I used that throughout the whole movement and sort of built upon it so that, so that, so that the kids could really hear what they contributed. And there's space for improvisation as well. And they really, in these sessions, I mean, they're probably about four hour and a half sessions where we, where we, you know, where the, where the workshop leaders did all the workshops. And I was, I was just there to get everybody's ideas and then really put them into the piece. And I really, I really, I really do love doing that. I think like when somebody, a school child can write give me a suggestion whether it be a simple motive or a chord or something and then hear that in the piece and then play it I think there's you know it's a great sense you know there's a great sort of sense of achievement and ownership and and the ability to what I try what's so great about it so in those pieces and I sort of got better and better as it about it as I went along um so there are in those pieces there are three different kinds of parts for the kids so there's there are very simple parts for children who've only just started an instrument so like open string plucking on the violin mm. then for the more advanced they're perhaps going up to the you know using a couple of fingers and then to the people who can play melodies and you know maybe grade six 
they have making sure that they have something. It's a, it's an amazing sort of jigsaw puzzle to try and make sure that everybody has something that will make the most of them, mm. uh, feel that they have a chance to express themselves while also pairing it with a full orchestra and making it a worthwhile piece of music and sort of making the sum of its parts more than any other parts. And um, yeah. it's a really, I really love that. I really love that aspect of, I wouldn't want to do it all the time, but I love that aspect of composing where you're fulfilling many functions, you know, and there's a real craft to it because like, for instance, right. I mean, the clarinets could only play, I think, you know, for the clarinets that could only use their first finger, what were they only doing? Only They could only play in B flat, right? So a lot of this music is, there's a lot of stuff which is in G major, then B flat major, because you've got the strings and then, <laughs> who are all on the open strings. And then you've got a section for the saxes and the, the uh, trumpets and the clarinets, which is all in B flat, you know. And um, making that work, um, uh, it's great. It's great fun. And you do, you do see, you do see, I think, giving somebody that experience of playing. So there's always a moment in those pieces where everybody that where the beat where there's the big tune so like mm. the string the orchestral strings will be playing this tune the grade sixes or whatever will be doubling it but the younger children and the less advanced children they will be they will be playing bits of the tune so whether that's i'll make sure that the tune sort of uses the open strings of the violin so they can pluck every minim for instance so they feel that they're they feel that they're part of that bigger thing making this great sound and i, I love getting my mind around that although that 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 piece demanded a hell of a lot of walks to try and work out how to do it because, mm. um, yeah, I think it's, yeah, yeah. Cause it was yeah very complex sort of logistically and mentally to sort of work that out. Yeah. And also to, you know, as you say, to make it rewarding for everybody involved so that it's not just the beginners who are chugging away on sort yeah. of very uninspiring things just because that's all they could do. There's a, so for, is it a Vaughan Williams piece as a concerto grosso for strings in a similar Mode. I remember um, when I worked at the Royal College of Music, we did it with a bunch of kids. It was just so satisfying to see this mixed ability group work as a, a team. And I yeah. underestimate how hard it is to get that out as a composer. It's great. I mean, I it's funny, you know, because I went to the menu school for 10 years and I, um, you know, we, we we're all, you know, decided we were going to be professional musicians. And I have to admit, I left menu school being really quite snobby about amateur music. Mm-hmm. I didn't understand why any, what the point of it was, why anybody would do it, you know? Because, like, what? why are you going to do it unless you're not going to be the best, right? <laughs> and um, so working in that, you know, seeing... But, of course, now I realise that, you know, how rubbish that, you know. And so, yeah, I really, 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 really love working in that world. And, um, you know, it's sort of a... Yeah, yeah. And you're a young... Compo- young person's guide to composition as well mm-hmm. is similar to that yep. effect, isn't it? It's contributed by two by a bunch of people and lots of different people can play it. And I think the more of those pieces, particularly in the state music education's in at the moment, and they're just yeah. so important. Yeah, exactly. I think I don't know, it's it's very important. And I'm not um I guess, you know, I'm not a natural teacher and I'm not um, uh, you know, I'm, I'm I'm not a workshop leader, but by writing these pieces that I hope work really well. I mean, there's things like even you song as well, which is a big choral piece that was done at mm. the cathedral, which involved 125 children that you know they learned their music by rote, 
and um and they got to come into Peterborough Cathedral and sing with the choir there and the organ and we did this you know big performance and I mean it was just sort of uh it was you know to to you know that I feel that that's what I can do to introduce and enable to introduce young children to music and and hopefully and hopefully encourage them you know rather than scare them off and um yeah no it's it's a it's a it's a real privilege to be able to do that kind of stuff yeah yeah and for those people that you write for to see you at the proms and on the concert stage as well (laughs) as writing for them that's so meaningful yeah I'd never thought of that actually yeah I mean I do I mean it's quite interesting when you go well, I haven't I haven't done this for a couple of years, but you know, the people sort of making the connection, the fact that you've actually written that music is quite a sort mm. of um yeah. step for them. And also, you know, I mean, um for some of the sixth formers who were thinking it's going into composition, you know, it was I think it, you know, I just just the fact that I'm I'm not dead um mm. is is really is really useful basically. And I know for, I mean I know for a lot of teenage girls, you know, it's really you know, it's really useful that I'm not dead and I'm a woman. And just, I sort of, you know, anything I can do, you know, that wasn't personally a factor in me becoming a composer, you know. Um, I'd been composing for five years before I heard a woman, a piece by a woman composer, which was mm. by Duke Weir, actually. Um, but, you know, I mean, anything like that that I can be useful for, I'm very happy, happy about, you know. Yeah, and I think the absence of role models, I mean, we were talking to Judith uh, recently, you know, no role models for her. Growing yeah. up as someone who wrote music, you know, it was very much the the domain of the of the young man or the old man. You know, yeah. so the more visible you are making this your career to people who are aspiring to be like that, it's such an important role you're playing. Mm-hmm. As well as writing great music. It is, it's to know it's possible, isn't it? I mean, that's people grow up in ignorance. People think there's there are, you know, it's not for the likes of us, a lot of a lot yeah. of particularly creative things. Mm. Um, so seeing people who are a bit like me, building a life and creating things, you know, it's, it's fantastically inspiring. i got to change the subject slightly. We touched on it really in, in terms of collaborations, you, you know, to, to create those pieces. But how do you choose collaborators? Are you looking for specific people or do, you, do, you, um, do people knock on your door? Oh really? Oh goodness, that's very interesting. I'm trying to think of an example. I mean, I'm often often I'm put with collaborators. Um, I have had actually actually um, a wonderful collaborator, a librettist called Jeanne Pansard Besson. She's um, she contacted me. She contacted me via Facebook because she liked she'd heard a song cycle of mine and she really liked it. And we met for coffee in um, St Pancras and we really got on and she had this idea for for an opera which we've since been um developing and um so I mean it's yeah it's, sometimes it starts like that I mean other times you know when I was at Rambert I wrote a piece for Rambert and Mark Baldwin was the choreographer he was the you know the um, creative director of the company and um you know that was a wonderful collaboration but that was set by you know that I was put with other people often often with projects you know you're paired up with other people um yeah it's interesting I'm trying to think of what else I've collaborated on recently um I mean the biggest thing I did recently was with um Amanda Holden who you know really sadly passed away recently um I'd met her when I was 19 um Bill Banks Jones from Tete a Tete mm. and not 19 a bit older than that 21 or something 
he'd commissioned me to write one scene of a six-scene opera with other composers, but Amanda Holden doing the libretto. Um, and we really got on and we kept in touch and we didn't do anything else until um, what would have been 2019 when we wrote this big 80-minute piece, um, Scenes from the Wild, together. Um, yeah, I guess I do that. Actually, I do that with subjects for pieces and people in that if you meet somebody and you think, aha, I like them, I'd like to work with them. And then, you know, you either try or just wait for the right occasion to come along. Um, you know, and that's sort of, you know, and, you know, now luckily I'm, I'm very happy to get recommendations from I've worked with, you know, um, yeah, it's, um, yeah, I can't really think of any other ways. I'm trying to think of, I mean, with, 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 with being at Merton, you know, I, a lot of the, maybe it's a bit of a stretch to call them collaborations, but, you know, it just happened very organically, you know, having lunch and then you sit opposite somebody who's an expert in medieval English and you say, you know, one of the pieces I wrote, bizarrely, it was going in a concert programme. I'd written a piece for Stephen Hawking's 75th birthday um, about the cosmos. And then this piece was being done in Prestine in a programme where I was also writing another commission. And so this Stephen Hawking piece was, you know, partly inspired by cutting edge, you know, research into the, into the cosmos. And I happened to say to Dr. Daniel Sawyer, you know, do you know any old poems about stars? And he said, well, there's some Chaucer, um, you know, and as it happens, um, uh, a professor, Sarah, I can't remember her surname from an American university. She's visiting, she's an expert in this. And a couple of weeks later, I've got this passage from Chaucer in my email, which is about, um, Troilus, Troilus from Troilus and Cressida, uh, when Troilus is, 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 dies, he ascends to the heaven and he looks down on the earth and he passes the planets. And, and it's like the earliest description of going up into, you know, um, into, the, into heaven, it passed the planets. And so I end up set, setting that, you know, so I've got this great, so, um, and, you know, that's just a conversation over some light lasagna or something, you know, so <laughs> I do find... Do you find sort of chatting to people sort of works? How did you find, uh, come to write the cello concerto for Laura? Is, is that, did you, was she anointed or did you choose her? Well, she chose me, actually. It was just this amazing, um, I think it was a genuine coincidence. Laura knew Ryan Wigglesworth. Hmm. I hadn't met Laura before. I didn't know Laura knew me, knew of me. Um, she emailed me and said, I'd love you to write cello concerto. So then we were talking about that and, you know, I talked with, you know, Chester about it and sort of we said, oh, that would be great, you know. Um, but, and then a couple of weeks later, Ryan Wigglesworth rang me up and because he's got the new position at BBC Scottish Symphony Orchestra and said he'd like me to write a cello concerto for Laura. Um, I don't, I'm not sure they'd had a discussion about it or it was, you know, very recent. So it was really basically these two people, I mean, I've sort of known and admired both Ryan, I'd met Ryan before, but only very sort of, you know, um, briefly. And, you know, I've been in the same room as him a couple of times, you know, said hello. Um, but they, I didn't really know, you know, he knew my music and the same with Laura and they both decided within a fortnight that they'd like me to write a concerto. So it was really this incredibly good piece of luck. Um, 
she's you know she's recording it on her next album for for Chandos or Chandos, however you say it. Um, so just amazing, really. I'm also really intrigued by the fact that you've got a lot of music of your music that's recorded, you know, which is unusual. Yeah, this day and age. And I think one of those albums came out as a result of the Romba collaboration. Uh, do you want to tell us about, you know, what's it like being in residence with a dance company? Well, what did you get up to? Um, I loved it. Um, I absolutely loved it. I just, um, I mean, it's just, you know, I'm going to have just absolutely no ability in that, you know, <laughs> with it to dance whatsoever. So just, just <laughs> being able to watch these people who just seem, you know, just superhuman to me. It's just, just, just sort of magical. Um, and um, I think actually one of the most, so I, I wrote a piece with, with Mark, which was absolutely wonderful. And I also had um, a, a piece choreographed by one of the trainee um, choreographers who was also a dancer to an existing piece, a piece that I'd written years ago called Memoria for um, oboe and piano quartet. And I remember this session talking with Patricia um, and she would sort of, she was showing me where she thought the phrases were and sort of how the phrases worked and and what the sort of music was telling her sort of structurally. And it was completely different from what I, what I, from the musical phrases that I would have picked out, you know, these eight bars or these nine bars or whatever. But, and she, I don't think she read music. She was very, very, very musical. But that sort of dialogue with somebody who was sort of looking at it from a completely different perspective from you, it's sort of, it surprised me at first because she was sort of basically picking things out that weren't the most important things to me or were different. But actually, I really, I really sort of found that I understood what she was saying and it sort of gave me another perspective on my music to sort of, I don't know, almost to get out of your confines. I find that it's quite easy for me to get stuck in, just thinking about melody and harmony and rhythm and actually working with her, seeing my music differently. But, you know, it was a really valid, you know, interpretation that she was giving me. It wasn't that I thought, but it was just different from mine. And I really appreciated that sort of, um, just sort of being able to look at your work from a different perspective and then see what she did with it. And just, I don't know, it sort of just opens your mind more. And just, I don't know, just, just the pleasure of being able to, work out how to talk to somebody who doesn't speak your exact language but is you know a great artist it's really I love that I love that um um so yeah so that was that was that was brilliant sorry I've sort of slightly forgotten the rest of the question but um it's really about what was it like you know so you you know the, the beauty of being able to work with someone who's interpreting your music and learning from that existing work. So writing a new score for Mark was, Mm. how was that? Did you start at the beginning together or did you write the piece and he made it or how did that work? No. So it was going to be, again, it was about, it was about um, sort of the beginning of the universe and uh, quarks. And we had this amazing trip where we went to CERN. We took a day trip to CERN to talk to us and have lunch and look at the Hadron Collider, and um, and it was just yeah, it was just amazing. Um, and then you know he had these he had these ideas. You know this was a long time ago. It's not really fresh in my head now. But we would talk and talk and talk about it. We'd talk about the structure of the work, how we might like it, um, 
to work. The the director of music, Paul Hoskins, also had ideas. It was going in between Bart Brandenburg and Stravinsky, Dumbarton notes. But those influenced the piece as well. And um, we, yeah, we basically talked and talked and talked a lot. And I did play Mark bits of it. Um, in the end, I sort of wrote the piece. I mean, partly to do with practicalities and deadlines, I sort of wrote it. But I remember coming in to play him some on the piano. But because we discussed it so much and we knew, you know, it sort of, it sort of worked very well. I, I, I really like that way of collaborating, actually, to sort of start at the beginning by, you know, sharing research, you know, like going to, to speak to this amazing scientist at CERN and then talking and talking about how how the piece will work, you know, including the practicalities, how long that's going to be and that's going to be. And roughly, so this piece is in five, three minute movements that are continuous. I don't, and I can't remember whether we sort of discussed that. I think we probably did. Um, and then going off and doing your own, your own bit and then coming back together again. Um, yeah. It was beautiful. And you were asking about recorded works. I, um, I don't know why. Um, um, in about 2008, I, I decided that I wanted to record my work and I applied to the Arts Council and they gave me half the money I needed, which, which resulted in me having to find the rest of the money. And, um, and I also, you know, I was very lucky to have my album accepted by Champs Hill. So they, you know, they, 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 they paid for the production and the distribution of the disc. And I just, those, I think it was in 2007 or 2008. And I had this basically four days of people recording my music, really, really caring about it and, you know, being far more exacting than I was really. Um, and it resulted in this amazing recording, which was the, the biggest ego boost ever really, you know, because at that time I would sort of slave away on pieces for ages and get one performance and they'd never be seen again. And to be sort of con- confronted with, I think, 30 musicians over those four days who all really really cared about my music was the biggest ego boost and then I just basically got totally addicted to recording so I spent all my spare time trying to raise money I even got 40 quid off a man in the in the in the train once who was had a um a royal opera house brochure and I I was raising money and I (laughs) I was totally obsessed I spent I spent one or two days a week applying for funds and just applying I applied to the Arts Council four times for one for one project oh, before I me. I've I've applied to the Arts Council. That's painful. I mean I raised I think I raised about sixty thousand pounds all in all to record on my disc. And it, I mean it was just the most knackering experience ever. And um um but it was worth it, you know, because now those recordings are, are really useful to me. Mm. You know. Did did you conduct? No, no, that would absolutely terrify me. But my first, I mean my first CD because there were lots of people involved because um, it was all chamber music, but the cheapest way was to do it was to get the people who commissioned, well, the cheapest and best, both musically yeah. and it was to get the people who'd commissioned it to play it. I, I, I booked everybody into B and B's and I, I would drive, I would drive and pick everybody up from the station to their B and B to the, to the, and I, you know, I organized the timetable. I, I mean, I sort of did absolutely everything. Um, do it yourself. That's fantastic. Yeah. Yeah, and now I have this very sort of privileged existence where yeah. I don't have to do very much stuff other than compose. But you know, it was uh, it was it was totally nappering, but it was worth it. Exciting though, and incredibly like affirming because you know it's I I never thought about giving up composing, but sometimes it can be just you know sort of seems like you know you put so much in and you get quite 
and not very much out. And so just to have these people really caring about my music was just sort of, um, that was just absolutely amazing. You know, it really made you feel like everything was worthwhile. Well, Cheryl, it, it's been fantastic talking to you. Um, I think we're coming to the end. We typically ask a question at the end, which is, what are you look for, looking forward to? What am I looking forward to? Um, um, oh, goodness. Oh, goodness. That's, that's a, I'm looking forward to going to the theatre tonight, see the Layman trilogy. I'm very much looking forward to that. brilliant. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to that. And um, going to see some jazz the next night. Um, I'm looking forward to writing a piece for accordion, which is really exciting because I sort of don't have a clue how to write for accordion. Um, I'm writing a I'm writing a choral piece for a special occasion at the moment um, for for somebody's important occasion, and I really I really enjoy. I'm not allowed to say what at the moment, but I really enjoy putting myself in that. Um, I really enjoy those kind of commissions because it's. Um, I'm sort of. I realise that why I love writing pieces for other people's special occasions is because I can put myself wholeheartedly into that occasion and feel the the sort of gloriousness and the sort of hugeness of it. Um, and I can sort of really absorb myself in that because I think I've sort of composed out all my own stuff. I'm sort of bored of myself. <laughs> um, and um, But it's really lovely to to write pieces for those sort of occasions. And um, yeah, well, yeah, I don't know. I've, I've just, um, yeah, I can't think of anything else. Lots of other things I'm looking forward to, I'm sure. But. And I've got, I've got a cheeky last question which was, um, are you, do you still have the same hobby you had at eight, going into the next field with your, possibly not your grandmother around, and <laughs> shuffling horse dung? Or have I you moved on from that? <laughs> I haven't had the opportunity to do that. No, it's, it's a real, it's a real, it's a real, like I have a really old lady holiday uh, hobby these days. I really like doing tapestry. I sit, I sit and I, <laughs> I sit and I do my like painting by numbers tapestry and I work out my, I work out, I either just listen to the radio or I work out what I should be doing with my piece. Um, so, and I've made quite good progress the last few days. So, yeah. Marvellous. Well, thank you so much for your time. I've really enjoyed that conversation. You too. Thank you. Thank you. This episode of Composing Myself has been brought to you by Wise Music Group. Thanks for listening. <laughs>